I read all these books and I'm always thinking to myself, man, there's some good points in here that either I've used with clients, I've brought up with clients or on other interviews on other shows or other pieces of content. I'm like, Hello, welcome to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab You Practice Solutions. And um, if you run a healthcare technology, innovation company, et cetera, et cetera, you're doing something unique, cool, or innovative in the healthcare space, and you want to develop a solid uh, value proposition or positioning strategy, then check out the positioning strategy workshop I know original name right original name so the healthcare positioning alignment workshop is where we help you answer the question value to whom obviously we mentioned this a lot and we talk about this a lot on the show but there's four different you know stakeholders in the healthcare space right you got the payer the policy the provider and the patient um, policymaker so depending on who you're targeting um, in that value chain those stakeholders value certain things. They're looking for you know, different features or different benefits within a product or a service or even a novel service delivery. They're looking for different outcomes in the services or the tools and solutions they seek out. Um, and you need to understand that. So you need to understand the value to whom question before you can craft a solid value proposition for those stakeholders. If that's something you're interested in, uh, learning more about or checking out our approach to developing effective value propositions for various healthcare stakeholders, go to uh, positioning.rehabupracticesolutions.com. That's positioning.rehab, the letter U, practicesolutions.com. All right diving right in today this week i'm taking a little bit of a uh, a variation if you would from the normal format of the show it's either the show has typically always been interviewing people that are doing cool things in healthcare because i like having conversations with smart people doing cool things um, and that's been kind of like the backbone of the show for the last couple of years and then there have been uh, like bonus episodes or like monologue episodes, if you would, where I'm answering a specific topic or covering a specific um, a, one specific point or a series of questions from listeners or something like that. And those two formats have kind of been the way the show has run. This, this week, I'm doing something a little different and mainly because uh, we had a couple interviews lined up this week and they fell through. And I've been kind of toying with this idea for the last little bit and uh, the opportunity present itself we needed some we needed something for the show this this coming week and um and i just finished this book that i did a linkedin post about it uh that maybe i'll link to the show notes uh, and i figured man there's a lot of nuggets in some of these books so my goal has always been read one to two books a month uh every year um, and my, my, the way I split it is usually one book on either like personal or spiritual growth and then one book on like business, um, either specific to what I'm doing, whether it be marketing, business development, strategic development or something like that, 
or specific to healthcare. And I read all these books and I'm always thinking to myself, man, there's some good points in here that either I've used with clients, I've brought up with clients or on other interviews on other shows or other pieces of content. I'm like, maybe it would be nice if I did like a little mini book summary, um, pulling away, kind of extracting the main points of a book and specific to healthcare and healthcare innovation, maybe healthcare startups or something like that, um, that aren't like your traditional or typical book that everybody goes to, right? Like, um, I'm trying to think what's what's like uh, hooked is a big one in the in the technology space, right? Near Ial wrote it all about developing and how you structure either a solution or software to be sticky or to to get users engaged, right? So that's like obviously the 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 whole point of that book is very evident in the title. The connection is really really easy to make. I'm doing a, I'm building a software or a technology solution. I'm going to read the book hooked, right? Or um, even my book, Better Outcomes: A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. I'm running a, a practice. Um, I need to, you know, develop a, a process at the clinic that makes patients more engaged, more more likely to complete their their course of care, whatever. I'm going to get Better Outcomes: A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare or something like that. Those are very easy connections. What I really like doing is reading like far and wide, and then bringing some of those disparate books or maybe books that aren't even on the radar for healthcare professionals and extracting some nuggets from them. I got this idea from a guy, I mentioned him on the show a lot. David C. Baker wrote a book called uh, The Business of Expertise, and he does all of his work in the creative space. So solo consultants, uh, marketing firms is really where he spends a lot of his time, marketing and design firms. And one of the things that he talked about on one of his podcasts was he got an insight that he ended up creating a bunch of content. I want to say he like built a, a workshop around it um, when he was reading a book on used car salesmen. And like I think it was like a Reader's Digest uh, article or something like that. And he used some of the principles and the insights from that article to generate a whole bunch of content and insights for his discipline. I was like, oh, no, you know, that's that's really interesting. The idea of reading far and wide and things that aren't even related to your field or your specialty and then pulling and extracting what can be added to your to your discipline from those disparate, you know, those wide reaching pieces of content or articles or books or whatever it is. So this book, um, I'm just going to get to it, is called The Art of Learning. And it is a book that, uh, I mean, I don't know if anybody in the healthcare field would read it because of healthcare. <laughs> um, it's, the book is, by, is written by Josh Waitskin. If you know anything about Josh Waitskin, he's an interesting character um, in and of himself. So he was like a a chess he's a chess grandmaster he holds a black belt in tai chi and a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu so the what's interesting about him is that he's reached a level of mastery in three very different disciplines um so the book the art of learning is his way of breaking down the process by which he developed mastery in each of these different disciplines some practical strategies, some things that he recommends. The book is is relatively old. It's 2007. And um, so we're just going to dive in. So the basically the the book itself, The Art of Learning, kind of the goal is to provide readers with like a very 
like the fundamental knowledge to improve your mental and, and professional performance. So um, he refers to mainly in the book, he spends a lot of time talking about chess because that's where he spent a lot of his early, you know, this is like the early forms of mastery for him, or the early discipline where he learned some of these techniques. Um, and then he talks a lot about Tai Chi. He very rarely mentions Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, but you, through his life, you know, he's developed these, he is a master. He's at the top level of each of those areas. Um, I want to say he was like a grandmaster or won some kind of world championship or something in chess when he was like eight or 10, like he, really young. The dude is um, very accomplished <laughs> to say the least. So anyways, that's the book in a nutshell. The book kind of gives you this high level overview of some principles that you can put in your life, um, in your work life to develop really targeted and focused advanced mastery in a discipline. So there's that. There are a few main points that I thought, little nuggets from this book that I thought are so applicable to our lives as clinicians or people involved in healthcare. Um, whether you're a healthcare technology a startup or an innovation company or you're a provider seeing patients in the clinic every day or you run an organization that, that sees patients every day. Um, one of the big ideas, and I've, this is the one that, that's kind of started the, the LinkedIn post, was this idea of investing in loss, which basically in his way of saying it was that, so he, he I think this comes up in the book when he's talking about like transitioning from being a grandmaster, he's like top of the charts here in chess, and then he decides to go do Tai Chi and starts basically as a white belt at the lowest level. Um, and he talks about the idea of investing in loss at the front end in order to develop skills later. And what he means by that is that in order to be good at anything, you have to be bad at it for a while first. <laughs> so whether it's losing a game of chess, whether it's you know losing a Tai Chi push hands, uh, engagement or, or sparring session or something like that in healthcare, it you know it would be you know treating patients or um, business development and stuff like that for healthcare innovation companies, strategy for technology companies. Um, I've worked with a lot of clients who are either they're trying to get the the product a hundred percent before they get it to market or they're delaying having some of these sales and discovery conversations until they know all the possible answers, right? I need to know all of the potential objections before I go into a demo or a sales conversation because I don't wanna look stupid, right? And the Josh Waitskin's point in this book in this investing to law in loss is that in order to get to the point, now we're gonna talk about healthcare technology and business development, in order to get to the point where you understand all those objections where you know what the the objection is going to be and how your solution can fix it or, or whatever whatever the pain point is in order to get to that point you need to do some early investment in loss you need to get some reps in um so to me the way i'm looking at it is like yeah you're the first couple sales conversations you have are probably not going to close super fast or super quickly and you're not going to sound the smartest in them <laughs> i mean if your tool or your software or your solution is really awesome, some of the value is going to be apparent. It'll make your life a little easier. Um, but either way, you're still going to have those reps of those early, you know, I say maybe first couple dozen 
sales conversations or discovery calls or something like that, you're going to be peppered with questions you've never thought of before or you really didn't think about because they never came up. And you can do a lot internally, role playing and practicing and going through some of these. And that is good. And I do recommend that. But until you're doing it live with somebody um, in a position where you could potentially, you know, quote unquote, lose, um, you're not going to kind of get those reps in. And investing in loss is this idea of, okay, just because I didn't get the sale in this one sales conversation or this one demo doesn't mean that it was a failure. That's part of it. It's going to take, you know, a couple dozen of these calls or these demos to really get the, the not just the value proposition, but kind of the method of structuring some of these conversations down pat so that we are, uh, you know, preemptively getting to those objections and answering them. We're getting to the point where we're highlighting the specific value in this tool or this software or this innovation. So investing in loss is just one of those ideas I think is super, super important because it's so anti um, like human nature. We want to stay in our comfort zone. If we lose at something, that's it. If, or if it fails, one, if we fail at it once, that's it. We're not doing it again. Um, and we try to stay within the comfort zone. But if you stay within that zone where you're not being challenged, you're not at risk of failing, the, the old cliche or the adage goes like, you never learn. Like the growth comes from discomfort. We need to be in positions and place ourselves in positions where the, the, threat of failure is actually real because that's when a lot of your growth and learning actually happens. So investment and loss. In order to be good at something, you're going to have to be bad at it for a while. So that's the main, that's the, the first big one that kind of stood out to me. The other one that he mentioned kind of in line with this is the idea of making smaller circles. So if you think about, and this is really applicable for new grad clinicians um, or maybe people that are just stepping into um, maybe a, a kind of a management role or a healthcare startup role or something like that. The amount of things that you can learn and can do is very, very wide, right? There's a lot of, especially, and I come from orthopedics and uh, upper extremity rehabilitation. There's a lot that you can see, right? Shoulder, elbow, hand in and of itself is very, very complex. And it can be very intimidating to think about this wide breadth of knowledge and all these things that you've got going on. I got to remember this um, piece of literature or this technique or this, you know, treatment or or whatever it is. Josh's uh, idea of creating smaller circles is the idea of if you can get to the point where instead of focusing on this super, super big problem or the super, super big, broad knowledge set, focusing on small areas of it and then drilling it over and over and over again until they become second nature. And then from there, that's your smaller circle. From there, your circle can expand a little bit and you're focusing on the next set. Um, And you're doing that sequentially until sooner or later, you just have these things naturally coming to your mind, right? Um, A perfect example of this is um, maybe in the orthopedic world, you know, something like a shoulder, Um, evaluating a shoulder for pain or dysfunction or something like that. You can get way into the weeds of of labral issues, um, stability issues, 
um, rotator cuff issues, all of that kind of stuff. Like it can be super, super expansive. And I've seen people that come into the clinic at the clinic that I run, they're students or something like that, or new grads. And they do, you know, they're writing out beforehand, they're going to get their template done before a, a shoulder evaluation. And it's like seven pages long because they have listed every single battery of test, every single area. And um, what I try to tell them is like, all right, let's, let's create a smaller circle here. Let's focus it down. What are the main things we want to rule out? Okay, we want to rule out musculoskeletal dysfunction, maybe neurological, neurovascular. So you kind of spend some time focusing on that. Okay, we're going to do a few screenings here for um, neuro or something like that. It's not neurovascular. Boom, we can forget about all of those, <laughs> all of those tests, all of those things, and focus on you know maybe a musculoskeletal, a soft tissue. Now, now is that soft tissue going to be a muscular or capsular or ligamentous? Okay, we can break that down. So like breaking things down into smaller chunks, one saves you a lot of time in the clinic. Obviously, you're not doing you're not doing tests just to do tests. You're really taking a targeted and focused approach. But it's also the way that you study and you learn it, right? Instead of trying to learn everything, like, oh, if there's some pain here and I do this movement, that could be uh, neuromuscular or neurovascular, neuromuscular or musculoskeletal um, or soft tissue or something like that. We're going to break into all of those. You're just walking one step in front of the other, kind of making that circle get a little more narrow, if you would, especially in the clinical context, until you figure out what is actually going on. Um, so the idea of making smaller circles that happens with doing reps and doing reps over and over and over again. And it ties in with this idea of investing, investing in loss, because there are times where you're going to draw that circle and it's too small. <laughs> you made that decision to eliminate something and it's, uh, you, you shouldn't have eliminated whatever it was, right? Um, the same can be true in, in developing software technology, this idea that you need to get a lot of reps in until it becomes second nature. So um, drawing so smaller circles or sequential smaller circles. Um, and he kind of mentions this again. This is a, a, was a little confusing to me, but the idea of he calls it numbers to leave numbers or form to leave form. And it's this idea of you learn all of the basics, you learn all the processes or the steps. Um, in chess, he's talking about numbers because it's a grid. You know, you've got your, um, the letters on one side and the numbers on the other side. Uh, and you're, you know, everything's based off of like, we're moving the, the queen to, you know, H one or something like that, whatever it is. And you're remembering all these numbers. Um, and he talks about that's important to learn. Um, but it's important to learn so that you can forget them, right? So that at some point they just become ingrained in second nature. So numbers to leave numbers, you're learning these numbers so that you can forget them eventually. Um, it would, in Tai Chi, he's talking about the forms or the positions, right? You're, you're learning these forms so that you can forget them. And it is true at some point in healthcare, both on the clinical side and then on the, like the business development healthcare technology side, in the clinical context, right? Like you learn all of these specific um, musculoskeletal maybe tests or, uh, or things like that, uh, so that, not that you can forget them, but that so they're so ingrained that you don't need to do a specific test or you don't need to do extraneous work or treatment with a patient because you already kind of understand what's going on and you can move to that deeper level. Same thing with healthcare technology, let's call it positioning or, or strategy or something like that, business development for a healthcare technology company or something like that. Um, you need to understand 
you know, those four P's of healthcare, the value proposition, the positioning statement and all that, whatever you, however you develop it for your company. Um, but you learn it so that it becomes ingrained and that you're just living from that, if you would. All your demos or all your sales conversations are coming from the position of this positioning strategy. It's coming from that point instead of um, trying to memorize it and then regurgitate it. You want it to become ingrained both in the culture of the organization, but then also in those sales conversations, those demos, that it's just you're taking it as a matter of fact. And because of this, you know, positioning strategy or value proposition, everything else that we're doing is flowing from that and it just makes sense, right? It's a logical progression. So this idea of like form to leave form, numbers to leave numbers, the idea that stems from this drawing smaller circles. You're trying to get down to the essence of it. You're trying to ingrain it in yourself, um, in your psyche, if you would, and then kind of making decisions based off of that. So um, those are like three really, really big uh, points that I just thought were interesting for healthcare both on the clinical side, but then on like the innovation technology side from this book that would otherwise, you would, there would be no reason to read this <laughs> if all you wanted to do is increase your skill in healthcare or innovation or fundraising or, or something like that. Um, the the other thing that, that he mentions in the book quite frequently, which I think is worth mentioning here, is like the process of learning will almost always be painful and discomfort, like have bring discomfort, right? And I, I mentioned that earlier, like growth comes from discom discomfort. So you might be naturally gifted or naturally talented in an area, and that can take you so far. Um, but to be the best in whatever specialty, if it's clinical practice or market leaders in a healthcare technology space or healthcare solution space, innovation space, you need to always be willing to learn. And that means that you have to be willing to accept mistakes, failures, um, things like that. It, it reminds me of another book that I read recently, maybe last year. It's called, I think it's called Little Bets, the book. Little Bets or Tiny Bets or something like that. And the idea is you want to do this smart, right? You, you don't want to bet the farm on something that you have a hunch might do well. But this idea that, we're going to make a lot of little tiny risks. We're going to take a bunch of tiny risks in various areas. And that way, if something goes south or if we end up being wrong on this intuition, we haven't lost a whole lot. But if we're right, we're, we open up this whole new area of maybe de feature development or um, solution delivery or use case or something like that that we wouldn't have otherwise explored if we weren't willing to take that risk. Um, so this, for specifically for healthcare technology and innovation, I find this to be a, a very beneficial approach in the product development stage, but then also like in the future iteration stage, as you start gaining clients, as you start getting customers and implementing the solution in real life, um, there are always going to be things that you haven't thought of or things that maybe your customers bring to you. And sometimes it just makes sense that, you know, this is a big ask, we can't do it. But sometimes uh, a customer might come and say, you know, it'd be really nice if this was a feature, you know, if a button was here or something like that, whatever it is. Um, and instead of getting, you know, thinking that it's going to be a big deal or whatever, or, you know, how many people are we going to, um, attract because of this feature? Is it really going to explode our market 
demand because we added this one feature. If it doesn't take a lot, if it's a small, if a tiny bet, if you would, a small bet, um, you invest a little bit of resource, a little dev time in developing it. You you know, run it, you know, test it with this client, with this customer, and if they like it, then you bring it to the broader market. And the best, the worst case scenario is um, you made one client happy um, and you spent a little money doing it. Um, best case scenario is you've opened up maybe a new, uh, a new group of clinicians or clinical organizations that might be m- more willing to purchase now, or you've decreased a little bit of the friction or the barrier to purchasing your product, whatever it is. Sometimes little bets like that um, are very, very helpful. <laughs> and it's, it's highlights something that I mentioned a few episodes ago, which was the, the idea of using those initial clients, those initial customer organizations, um, as part of your R and D as well. You know, they're, they're testing it boots on the ground and they're bringing you things that they wish were different or things that they wish, um, the, the product did or the service did or the innovation did. Uh, having those kind of those early allies is very, very beneficial as well, because it can feed some of those tiny bets you end up making down the line. So, uh, tiny bets, different book, uh, but still kind of same, same, same concept there. Um, and then the final, the final big takeaway that I got from the book, from the art of learning is this idea that, um, in order to stay at the top, I think we hear this all the time, but we kind of take it for granted in order to stay at the top, um, you need to continually be developing and learning. You know, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards is the idea, right? And if you think about it, especially in healthcare and healthcare technology and in healthcare innovation, like there are a lot of motivated and talented people in this space. Um, There are a lot of really cool and interesting companies getting started up by some of those talented people. in reality, though, only a few of them are going to go on to be market leaders or to be the best. Why? Because, unfortunately, and this ties into all the other the the points before this, but once people hit a wall or um, they they hit a plateau or they experience some kind of failure, a lot of people um, deviate. They deviate from the path, right? So, understanding kind of what that guiding principle is. Um, for you, it, you know, Simon Sinek calls it his why. Some people call, you know, some some companies call it their mission, their vision, their vision or their values or something like that. Um, once you hit some kind of resistance or um, you plateau in moving towards that, um, many people just shift, right? Well, maybe we don't need to do X, Y, Z. We'll just focus here where that where it's easier and the money is. Sometimes it's beneficial, but um, for the most part, like if you're shooting for, um, if you're shooting for like being the best professionally and clinically, um, as a as either an individual or an organization, um, you're going to get to a point, or you're going to to be in a position where you advance so far, um, you're you're reaching the edge of your abilities, right? Your skills, your talents, your sometimes even your intelligence, right? And if what you do is if you, he mentions this a lot in the book, like if you see those traits of yours as kind of an immutable entity, this is this makes up my character, not much can change, right? Um, success or failure in whatever discipline that you've chosen seems to be the, the result of that, those set of factors, right? I'm only so smart, I'm only so intelligent, I'm only so you name it, whatever it is. Um, 
and this can be very very frustrating very quickly and it 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 can cause people that are on their path to success if you would um to deviate from that because they get frustrated like i only have so much um one of the big this is again tying another book here especially in the world of technology and healthcare innovation this is one of those instances where dan sullivan's book who not how comes into play i mean obviously you can work on your intelligence you can build your skills you can build your talents that's wonderful um in who not how the 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 author the authors because i think it's uh dan sullivan and somebody else is a co-author the point of that book is you take that when you whenever you come up to a problem or a plateau or whatever it is you need to hit the next level you need to make a change you need another job to be done or completed, another task to be completed, another area of focus. Most people and most organizations move to the question of um, how are we going to do this? How do we make this happen? Um, the Dan Sullivan approach here is you should be asking who. Who should we do this? Who do we need to find to do this? Who do we need to develop, whether internally on the team or do we need to look for outside help? Um, who is going to be the person or who's the set of people that are going to help us overcome this obstacle, get to the next level, reach the next pillar of success, whatever it is. Um, and this ties really in with this idea of always learning and staying abreast and trying to be at the cutting edge, as Josh Waitskin mentions in the book, because that can be very, um, it can be a tall ask a lot of times, especially when you're running a business and you've got things going on. Like you need to understand that there is another level and it is going to tax you, but it might tax you in a different way, right? So I think of this idea as not only does it have application for me personally in my professional life or my personal life, there are going to be areas where I just have to get discomfort, get discomforted, get uncomfortable and grow, stretch and grow. Um, but the way in which I do that might be a little different. Maybe it is me developing this skill or developing, um, gaining some knowledge in this area. Um, a good example of this was when I was, when I first started consulting, if you've listened to early episodes of the show even, a lot of the focus was on patient engagement for private healthcare organizations. A lot of the clinics that I was working with, a lot of my paying customers and clients were um, PT and OT clinics, uh, chiropractor clinics, even a couple pediatric practices that were, um, they wanted patient engagement, right? They, they Some of it was like business development for them, marketing. Um, but the other part was obviously the book, Better Outcomes of Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. How do we put a system in place that keeps patients showing up, engaged, happy, all of that? Come COVID and all of that, um, and the move into telehealth and all of that and some of the work that I got involved in doing the telehealth roadmap, which we offered for, for a few years. Um, I guess we still technically offer it. You can learn more about that at going to the website and clicking on, I think it's under what we do, the telehealth roadmap. Um, but we basically, uh, you know, I shifted from focusing entirely on patient engagement and business and marketing for those clinics to, okay, let's implement this virtual service delivery and how you're going to do it in a way that maintains patient engagement and all that. There's always been that thread of patient engagement and humanizing healthcare in my work. And then after doing the telehealth roadmap for a while, really as a result of that, it kind of opened me up to another area that I had to 
I had to just gain a lot of knowledge in, and I'm still learning this idea of, and this area of healthcare technology and startups in the, primarily in the musculoskeletal space kind of what their what their approach is working a lot now with people that are software developers building these tools and these enti- these organizations like that has taken some uh having a few uncomfortable conversations with clients or prospective clients saying well you know I don't really know that I've never been a you know I've never been asked this question I've never thought of it from this way and I need to go and do some research and then come back to you or something like that right um, and that's been one thing that has kind of kept me, you know, I like it. I like having to learn and having to move. That's great. Being a little uncomfortable and then growing out of the, that discomfort. But then there are other places where um, it would be more advantageous for me to hire a who, somebody to do that, who's got that skill set. And f- especially if you're early in your startup or early in your healthcare practice, the idea of paying somebody to do something can be an area of gr- of growth and discomfort because it's always been you or it's always been you and a core small team and now you're expanding it to another area which means one you're having to spend some money you're having to invest some resources in somebody else to do a job and hopefully they do it right and they don't fail and they don't cost you money um, but then there's the other the the other idea of like okay now your role stops being the one doing it so much as the one that is managing and leading and setting the strategic vision. And that is an entirely different skill set as well that you have to grow and you have to be uncomfortable in for a little bit. And, you know, I remember the first time I fired somebody, it was not, you know, I remember being up all night uh, the, the night before thinking about it and how the conversation was going to go. And I just felt uncomfortable doing it. Um, and then those conversations early on um, kind of have helped me have some of these more difficult conversations sometimes with teammates as we're growing the clinic that I work at or with startup companies that I'm consulting with, being able to have a framework for how do we have like just a performance improvement discussion doesn't need to be a firing discussion because sometimes, and I read this again in another book, I think it was, um, I'm trying to look for it, Radical Candor was the book um, by Kim Scott. She talks about like a lot of times when people get fired, it's because we haven't had, um, if they get fired for like performance issues, not because they like stole from the company or they did something totally illegal or unethical. But if we fire somebody because they just weren't meeting expectations, there's a very, very strong chance that the reason we get to the point where we're firing this person is because we have failed to have, um, call them crucial conversations, call them uh, difficult conversations or uh, coaching opportunities, if you want to be more positive about it, she calls it just, we fail to have candor, radical candor with our teammates to let them know, listen, what you're doing here in this position or with this job is not par. It's not what we expect. And, um, we're going to need to see X, Y, Z in order for you to maintain this position or for, you know, for us to be able to keep you on or whatever it is, however you want to frame it or structure it. Um, but you need to have, have that, those conversations leading up to, um, this potential firing because that a lot of times can prevent it. A lot of times there's something like, oh, I didn't know I was doing this or you were expecting this mismatched expectations, right? I didn't know you were expecting me to do this or to have this result. Um, so I was optimizing for something else. Um, so this idea again, like, um, we're growing in, in our, in our skill set. It might be in a different way though. Maybe it's not boots on the ground, being the software developer, the coder, maybe it's not being the hands-on direct clinician. Now you're a team management team manager or something like that. And that is a different way of continuously learning. In order to be the best, not only do we need to develop our skills and the organizational skills, but then we also need to think about how this fits into the grand scheme of things. Am I hiring somebody to do this 
job, this ta- this get the skill or this talent on the team, or am I going to develop it internally, either via myself or somebody else, and then kind of learning how to do that. So um, that might have been a little rambly, but I felt that those those were connected in my mind. This idea of like we always need to be learning, uh, but that comes hand in hand with. I always need to learn the best way to learn, right? Like sometimes it means hiring a teammate that has a lot of experience with, um, let's just say positioning strategy because we mentioned it a few times and it's (laughs) self-serving. Or um, maybe it's hiring a new uh, clinical specialist in this specialty area instead of going and getting a certification or something, right? That's an easy one. It just makes sense to hire a specialist to do that. So anyways, um, that's kind of all I've got. The book itself... Um, if you are, because I know that I've got some folks listening to the show who are, um, from my former professor days are into books like, um, make it stick or maybe Chip and Dan Heath's books about switch or made to stick or evidence-based learning strategies and all of that. This is not one of those books. Um, I don't know if he cites any research in the book, actually. Um, it's really just his, uh, it's his method. He walks you through what has worked for him and some of the strategies he uses because he does business coaching, I think, for like high, super high level executive folks in the finance space. Um, it's his take on some of these principles. So he does not quote a lot of research. He doesn't talk about the psycho, psychological or cognitive uh, faculties going on or anything like that. So if you're looking for like an academic book, this is not it. But if you're looking for an interesting book that covers that can be applicable, like I said, to a lot of professions and areas of, of either professional practice, clinical practice, or you know, startups and, and business. Um, that isn't your standard run-of-the-mill um, cliche book. You know, the the business book that everybody should read. This is one that I'd explore um, getting into, getting into and reading, just because um, I I was a big fan of the topic material. So my dad and I played chess a lot growing up. Uh, when I was younger, I was no, I'm not a competitor by any means, but I remember it being a cool thing. And I kind of related to, oh yeah, like I remember, you know, getting checkmated, <laughs> having to flip over my king or whatever. Um, and some of like the, how he describes going to battle on the chess field is, is really cool. Um, and then, you know, the idea of, you know, he, he talks about martial arts a lot, which is again, an interesting area. Um, a lot of people, it's not something you would think of when you're talking about business books. So if you're looking for something that kind of breaks the mold a little bit, but is um, still a good read and you can get a lot of nuggets, a a lot of nuggets to pull from that will apply to your personal and professional life. This is, uh, this is one I'd recommend. So there's that. If you like this type of show, I know this is kind of rambling and this is the first time I'm doing this book, like, like a book review like this. So I'm kind of pulling from other books and I'm thinking and um, maybe next time I do one, if we do another episode like this, what I'll end up doing is um, is doing a uh, like an outline or something, getting really dialed in. But that only counts if you're going to like the show. So if you like this particular episode, you think this is kind of cool and you want to do more episodes about uh, pooling maybe books that are outside of healthcare, way outside of healthcare sometimes, um, and drawing, like pulling nuggets from them for either clinical practice or healthcare innovation or something like that, let me know, shoot me an email. Um, You can do that at betteroutcomes.show. There's a little form, just fill it out, shoot me an email and say, hey, I liked it. Um, or, hey, this stunk. Don't ever do this again. <laughs> again, And I won't ever do it again. Um, 
So there's that. That's all I've got, I think, for, for this episode. I've rambled on long enough. The Art of Learning, check it out. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Um, you can check it out if, if you are so inclined. I usually have been trying to shift away from asking people to leave a rating and review um, because I feel like what is more beneficial is for somebody like yourself who is listening to just share the show with somebody that you think might benefit from it or think it is entertaining or find value in it. Um, that's the way you can you can spread our message. We're all about um, healthcare innovation, obviously, but with the bend of humanizing healthcare, we want the healthcare experience to be more human, whether that be through some kind of technological advancement or some new method or service delivery model or treatment model. Um, that's what we're focused on. We want to make healthcare human again. So, um, if you find that that is cool and maybe it doesn't need to be this episode, like I said, this is an experimental episode, one of our past episodes, um, just share it with somebody that you think would benefit from it. All right. That is all I've got today. Until the next time, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.RehabUPracticeSolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.